This is WPRB in Princeton, New Jersey, community-supported, independent radio. And now at 5 p.m., it's news and culture. I'm your host, Adam Sanders. Crack open an Arnold Palmer, lie down on the grass, breathe in some summer air. This is our fourth and final summer dispatch for the year. We've heard tales from Paris to Princeton, the Napa Valley to Northwestern Maryland. All good things come to an end, but the end of summer is a particularly poignant moment, a return to normalcy, to routine. I spoke to some folks around Princeton today to hear about how they felt about the end of summer rapidly approaching. Can you tell me your name, please? Sydney. Sydney, how do you feel about the end of summer? Um, I'm ready for it. I'm ushering in fall as quickly as possible. I am wearing all fall clothes except when it's way too hot out. And I'm ready to get this season over with. Like Sydney, Claire seemed excited for the advent of fall. I'm sad that the days get a little bit shorter, but I'm excited for the fall wardrobe and also classes and senior year. Some folks were more eager to reminisce about summer. Can you tell me your name, please? Sam. Sam, how do you feel about the end of summer? I'm like content. I had a good summer. I worked as a summer camp counselor this summer and spent a lot of time sitting on a zipline platform helping kids like go down a zipline. And, and when I think back on my summer, I just sort of imagine myself reading a book on like a wooden, little wooden platform 60 feet off the ground while the, while the children scurry up trees. Could you tell me your name, please? Uh, my name is Joe Herlon. I asked Joe what he would miss most about summer. Being able to go to a pool and just kind of be in, in a water. I discovered this summer that being in water relaxes me. And so not being able to go to a, a beach or a pool. Not everyone was ready to reminisce. Some folks seemed most excited about these August weeks themselves. So could you tell me your names, please? Liz Jackson. Dave Booth. And how do you feel about the end of summer? I love the end of summer because it brings excitement to new students, but it also is sad because the water starts getting colder. Uh, love the end of summer, some of the best weather, and hey, it's the beginning of a new season, so. One thing I know I'll miss are summer dispatches. Freeform stories will get a little less freeform when we return to regular season content in September. But for now, we remain in summer. It's sleepy late August days, the harsh heat mellowed by a new chilling breeze in the evenings, the damp air lingering less and less on the grass each morn. Enjoy it. We've got some great stories for you tonight. Charlie Nurnberger continues exploring an abandoned mansion in Western Maryland and encountering the poltergeists who might call it home. Hannah Lee discovers what makes a great summer read and gives some recommendations for a last book of August. And Tommy Goulding calls in from Germany with the story of melancholic wandering in the city streets. Stick around, we'll be right back. WPRB wants you to know that if you live, work, go to school, or pay taxes in the city of Philadelphia, you should sign up for a free Library of Philadelphia library card. You can gain online access to ebooks, audiobooks, movies, music, digital learning resources, online programming, and much more. To apply for a card or learn more, visit freelibrary.org. 
This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported, independent radio. First up, reporter Charlie Nurnberger continues his exploration of an abandoned mansion in northwestern Maryland, where a poltergeist may dwell. In the last episode of WPRB News and Culture, I began my trip to historic Winterbourne Mansion, an abandoned house where multiple infants died more than a hundred years ago, and their ghosts are rumored to still haunt. It is 10 p.m. There's a fine mist over I-70, cloudless night. We're on our way to Winterbourne Mansion in Western Maryland, the likely haunted, um, definitely spooky location of this segment of WPRB News and Culture. Almost right away, it seemed that this trip had more in store for me than I'd expected when my companion Joseph dropped out at the last minute. Oh, wait. Shoot. I just got a text from my mom. It said, be back home by 11.30. Shoot. I'm gonna I'm have to go back. Shoot. After dropping Joseph back at his house, I began my journey once again, armed with only my flashlight, a microphone, and my unwavering commitment to the art of journalism. Um, I've arrived at the location that some forum user, um, said I should go to. I can, I can see the path, um, that I'm supposed to follow, so I'll update when some things happen. In retrospect... I'm not entirely sure what I was searching for in that abandoned mansion. Ultimate evidence of the paranormal, maybe some lost piece of myself, or just a cool story for community-supported independent radio out of central New Jersey. Winterborn Mansion is located in a decidedly strange area. You can still hear the drone of the highway from the path I was walking. Uh, Some train tracks run right against the property. But even in spite of this proximity to mid-Atlantic civilization, the property found some way to freak me out entirely. I'm not going to lie. I'm really freaked out. Um, I thought I could do this on my own, and I will, I will, I promise, but um, an owl or something, some bird just flew across the path, um, Winterborn Mansion is located in a decidedly strange area, 
you can still hear the drone of the highway from the path I was walking. Uh, Some train tracks run right against the property. But even in spite of this proximity to mid-Atlantic civilization, the property found some way to freak me out entirely. I've arrived at the location um, I was forwarded. It looks like there's a a chain link fence around here. Um, I I guess there's some hole or something. Um, So I'm, I'm looking for an entry point. Shortly after that last audio recording, I was flagged down and yelled at by a security guard who looks after the property at night. She let me go back to my car, but declined an interview. Afterwards, I momentarily considered going back in and seeing if I could look at the property, but my commitment to journalism wavered in that moment under duress. After returning to my house, I conducted some research that I probably should have before I embarked on my trip. It seems that Winterborne Mansion traded hands in November of 2021 um, to a couple from Maryland who intended on developing the property. It seems like they have moved forward with that decision. The next morning, I followed up with my former companion and paranormal skeptic, Joseph. You know, I guess looking back on it, I'm kind of glad I wasn't there for the rest of it. Um, It just seemed like, I don't know, it was kind of a letdown. A lot of wasted time and effort, all for it to I don't know, I guess like amount to nothing. Um, So, you know, props to my mom for making me go home, but. I, however, do not see it as a disappointment or a letdown. I set out looking for the truth and it looked like in the end, the truth found me. This has been DJ Ringworm reporting from Maryland Thank you for listening to this serialized episode of WPRB News and Culture. WPRB wants you to know that if you're a renter in Philadelphia, you should know your rights. PhillyTenant.org has everything you need to know about your rights and obligations as a tenant in Philadelphia. You can find information about security deposits, leases, evictions, repair, lead testing, housing assistance, and much more. That's PhillyTenant.org. Live help for low-income Philadelphia renters is also available by phone 9 a.m. through 7 p.m. Monday through Friday at 267-443-2500. This has been a public service announcement from WPRV, Princeton, community-supported independent radio. Next up, Hannah Lee finds out what makes a great summer read and gives some recommendations of her own and her friends.
I don't love Goodreads. It kind of like just promotes the same kind of book. If that's your kind of book, then great. But like, I think if you're trying to like have like a diverse reading experience, you're not going to get it on Goodreads. I, I tend to ask people, I tend to just like to take note of what people are like talking about in terms of like my friends with readings, I trust their opinions. And that's exactly what I'm doing for our fourth summer dispatch. It's mid-August and a few precious weeks of summer break remain before fall classes begin at Princeton University. I'm looking for my last few summer reads and who better to ask for recommendations than three of the most avid readers I know. I'll let them introduce themselves as well as their qualifications to be a book critic on WPRB. Hi, I'm Adam Sanders. I'm the director of News and Culture. I'm a rising sophomore at Princeton University. And what qualifies me to be a critic? I definitely have taken up the mantle of critic in my own life by just offering unsolicited opinions, often um, being slightly pretentious at inopportune moments and mentioning things like, oh, when I took this humanities class, you know, I probably don't read as much as I talk about reading. So that qualifies me. Hello, my name is Clara McQueenie. I am entering into my sophomore year at Princeton University. What qualifies me to be a book critic? I'm planning to be an English major. So I'm definitely, you know, a book adjacent at least. Uh, But I've also grown up my whole life surrounded by books. My dad is a English professor. So it was not a choice. You can always find me with a book. I carry one around wherever I go, I would say. And this past year, Adam may have mentioned this, but we both took the Hume sequence at Princeton, which is kind of famous among Princeton students for its reading load. But I don't really think you need qualifications to be a book critic other than being well-read, which you know, the great thing about reading is that everyone can be well-read, but I do think I have a few, you know, extra qualifications under my belt. I'm Anurag Pratap, a rising junior at Princeton University studying neuroscience. What qualifies me to be a book critic? I don't really have any credibility outside of that. I read a lot and have a lot of opinion. I spend a lot of time reading. That's pretty much it. I feel like you just need to read a lot of books to be a book critic. To start off, I had everyone tell me what the literature category of a summer read means to them. Who I am in summer is not who I am in winter. And who I am in winter or fall is like a person who's going to read for the assignment and take notes and annotate and think critically. And I'm not sure I want that in a summer read. Like, obviously, critical thinking is great. But not every book I read in the summer has to be a model for intellectual discussion. So, you know, the books I would read in class that I adored, I would not even think about reading those in July. It's too hot to think. It's too sweaty to think. I want to read stories about people and people's relationships with other people and people's drama. I'll definitely be reading books that are more modern, more contemporary. I'm a big proponent of the beach read. I think it is gendered in a way it shouldn't be. I think the beach read is any book that you're not counting how many pages you have until you get to the end. So if I ever find myself when I'm reading in the summer counting down the pages until I'm done with it, 
I recognize that, okay, this is not a book I'm reading for pleasure anymore. This is a book I'm reading to finish. So in my mind, a beach read and a summer read in general, it doesn't always have to have like a cover with like an ocean and a palm tree on it. And it doesn't have to be like a romance book, although that doesn't hurt either. Um, But I think it's any book you can kind of lose yourself in. My summer reads usually fall into like two categories. One of them would be like, if I want to revisit a book, this is like the perfect time for me to revisit a book. And it's like such a wonderful time. Another category is that it cannot be more than 300 pages. I feel like during summer, I just get tired way too quickly with the heat. I try to take a medium, like 200, 300 page book. And that's sort of my approach to it. I don't think I have a specific taste in terms of plot or like setting or that way. It's just, it has to be like a medium sized book. Like I can't, I just don't have the mental capacity to be spending my whole summer through one book. Before we get into the real recommendations, I wanted to subvert the traditional format of the reading lists we see on Goodreads and the New York Times. Here at WPRB, we pride ourselves on asking the real heavy hitter questions. For your listening pleasure, everyone's summer read anti-recommendation, i.e. what book should you not pick up this summer? See, this is a tough one because this summer I like made like a point that if I was not enjoying something in the first 20 pages, I was going to put it down, which is hard for me because it can feel like a failure, even though it's like, it's not a failure. Like it's just a book. It's a piece of paper. You can put it down. Okay, so I love the sci-fi writer Ursula K. Le Guin. And so I've like wanted to like read all of her books and like she has a lot. And I picked up one of them called Always Coming Home, which is like this massive book about like it's like an imagined anthropology of like a people who might live in California as like aliens or like people like thousands of years in the future. And I really wanted to love it. I really did because I think she's so creative and she was such like a pioneer and trailblazer for science fiction. But I just didn't feel pulled in. I don't know. I think it was just written too anthropologically, too ethnographically for me to like take it as a novel and trust it as a novel. I'm normally like a huge fan of how she just kind of drops you into the the setting without expository writing. That's like this term means this, but I found always coming home a little bit hard to start, which doesn't mean it's a bad book. I think it just might be a bad summer book and I'm excited to try it out again in the winter. For every book I love, there is a book I hate. And I think that is another beauty of reading is that you can be a reader and hate books. The book that I am choosing to hate this summer, and I think you should not read during the summer or really maybe any time is this book called The Idiot. It may be situational why I didn't like it. I didn't finish it. So I'll just preface it with that. But I was told by people if I didn't like the first half, I shouldn't read the second half. So I didn't because it's a summer read and I was counting how many pages I had left. I think the writing is interesting and it's definitely experimental. So maybe I should have liked it, but I found it to be wildly depressing and just kind of grueling. I felt very much like I both couldn't relate to the protagonist at all. And also that I was struggling through the book in a similar way. She seemed to be struggling through her first year of college. I would especially not recommend it to incoming freshmen. It paints college in a very negative light. It paints academics generally in an interesting light but not one I necessarily agree with or think is positive so it's my anti-book of choice it's called the prime of miss jean brody by muriel spark 
I feel like it has a very strong cult following to it. I picked it up thinking it was going to be the perfect summer read because it's like 120 pages and it's like a very simple and calm story. But it's just, I think it can be a really good book if you're like intense, focused from an academic perspective. You can think through it. But I feel like as I was reading, there were books which had done the same vision in a better way. So that form, I completely thought of Kazuo Ishiguro's novels, which have the same retrospective way. And it just felt like I was getting so much more from like other writers. That said, she's a wonderful writer and maybe she was like the foundation to this other work. But for me, I would have to invest a lot of myself into it. And for a summary, that's not what I'm looking for. Finally, the real scoop. What should we be reading in the last few weeks of the summer? My friend and fellow WPRB news reporter, Claire McMeany, has been saying the name Ben Lerner to me for like nine months. And I didn't really know who he was. I had like heard of him as an author. And so I read the book She Loves, 1004. I read his three novels this summer. And I have to say that Leaving the Atocha Station by Ben Lerner, which is like from 2011, I think, is definitely like the best and most engaging summer read I had. It's about an American poet who takes like a year to live in Madrid. He's like a kind of a compulsive liar. He's incredibly anxious. He's a little bit of an addict. And it just like, there's not really a massive plot except for this man's like just musings. And like, because it is so autofictional, because it is like Ben Lerner is the protagonist, even though there's a different name, like that kind of autofiction seeps through. Leaving the Atocha Station is just a great summer read because I think that this it's a story of escape it's a story of like putting off your life for a year to kind of meander and then the the consequences of doing that and summer in general especially summer as a college student and a young person can feel like putting off life for a few months and just meandering and sitting there and like wasting away and so if you want a novel that makes you feel like you're not alone in that I definitely recommend leaving the Atocha station I'm going to suggest reading slash revisiting Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway, which, and I think Adam will agree, is one of the greatest books of all time. And I would read that alongside The Hours by Michael Cunningham. I think it's a fantastic book. It is essentially a celebration. Feels like the wrong word because it's too happy in this book I will warn you is not a necessarily happy one. It is kind of like an exploration, a deeper dive into Virginia Woolf's Mrs. Dalloway. I think it's beautifully written, which is really important to me. It needs to be beautifully written. There's definitely this general like vibe of existential dread slash weariness, but I also think one of like hope this idea that at any single moment something extraordinary can happen like that's what life is about the potentiality of the mundane so that is what I would suggest to you I will recommend Drive Your Plow Over the Bones of the Dead. So that's a very bounty title. It's a translated work. It was written by Olga Tokarczuk in Polish originally. And I think it's a book you should definitely read. It's been a while since it was published, but the writing is really, really well done. It's a very nice balance of not over-exaggeration, but still having like that emotional complexity to your writing. Without spoiling anything, it's a mystery genre novel, which is not like very cliche mystery. It's like a plot, which is very common, but the writer approaches it in such an interesting way. Engages with a lot of different questions and like diverging questions like environmental conservation. And another one is sanity. Sanity, insanity, divide. And it like balances these very, very different topics together. And she's a wonderful writer. I've read another book by her and like I am always, always amazed by it. And just, you need to read it. And there you have it. 
your WPRB book recommendations and anti-recommendations. This has been Hannah Lee on WPRB News and Culture. Happy summer reading! WPRB wants you to know about Mural Arts Philadelphia. Mural Arts Philadelphia, the nation's largest public art program, exists to provide transformative experiences, progressive public discourse, and economic stimulus to the city of Philadelphia through participatory public art that beautifies, advocacy that inspires, and educational programming and employment opportunities that empower. Take a tour and hear some of the stories behind more than 4,000 murals that grace our city. Learn more by following at Mural Arts on Twitter and Instagram and by visiting muralarts.org. This has been a public service announcement from WPRB Princeton, community-supported independent radio. Finally, Tommy Goulding explores literature and photography on a walk through the streets of Nuremberg, Germany. It was noon in Munich when I decided to go to Nuremberg. I had been wandering around the city center near where I was studying the German language, vaguely looking for one of the several museums still on my list to visit. It was a Monday, but I had no class. One of those strange holidays the Germans like to give themselves, which I had long since stopped trying to keep track of and merely accepted with gratitude. Because of the holiday, most of the museums were closed, just how I ended up on a train to Nuremberg, the closest major German city I could get to in under two hours. I brought with me on the train Susan Sontag's book of essays on photography. Sontag's book is an exploration of photography's rich history as an art form and as an element of social and political life. The book is largely critical toward photography as a means of interacting with the world, as a method of seeing and understanding what is around us, Sontag is especially critical of the role of photography in travel. She writes, The very activity of taking pictures is soothing and assuages general feelings of disorientation that are likely to be exacerbated by travel. Most tourists feel compelled to put the camera between themselves and whatever is remarkable that they encounter. This gives shape to experience. Stop, take a photograph, and move on. This passage stopped me short. Like any traveler in Europe, my camera roll was healthily backlogged with snapshots of cathedrals, meals, street scenes, bridges, and friends. Photography had been a sort of punctuation throughout my days. Although I was by no means an artistic photographer, it seemed irresponsible, a kind of betrayal to my future self not to take pictures when the opportunity presented itself. Indeed, there's a kind of melancholy looking back to those days where my phone died or stayed in my pocket. Days whose light lives on only in my mind, whose images are mostly submerged in the deep waters of my fickle memory. Sontag, though, would say I was hooked on a photographic way of seeing. It would not be wrong to speak of people having a compulsion to photograph, to turn experience itself into a way of seeing. Ultimately, having an experience becomes identical with taking a photograph of it. There's some real merit to this perspective. 
Photography, although ostensibly a tool for aiding sight and memory, can often come to replace both. Who needs to remember clearly when everything has been photographed from the day itself? No need to linger by the painting when a picture has been taken, ready for later review. Although, in all likelihood, we never go back to look at these pictures. How many details exist in the photos from my European trip that I never noticed with my own eyes? How many experiences were broken up by the flash of a camera, the lens and the screen wedging themselves between the world and me? For Sontag, photography gives the amateur tourist photographer a sense of control, but superficial control. Knowledge, but superficial knowledge. In an unfamiliar foreign environment, which cannot and indeed should not belong to the American tourist or student, the camera offers the elusive feeling of possession and command, in a very real sense, taking something of the place with you as your own. Throughout my day in Nuremberg, I was hesitant and unsure with my camera. On the one hand, it was an entirely new city, which I could only see for one day, surely an instance where the camera was justified. But Sontag's essay often held me back. I would find myself framing the world for potential photographs, seeing things with less an eye to genuine beauty and more to what ought to be preserved, shot, and captured. And I decided to let these moments pass without taking out my phone. I took the train back to Munich, exhausted and feeling somewhat torn. I had enjoyed the day in Nuremberg, but was feeling the guilt of someone admonished for their behavior by a favorite writer. I had only taken four pictures in the Dürer Museum, feeling Sontag's words telling me to just enjoy the drawings and etchings for what they were, and no more. I got off the train, ready to collapse in my dorm room, when I saw the sky opening out over the platform. My fellow passengers and I stopped and stood together, looking at a stunning sunset of deep pinks and yellows. Two men near me remarked on how it wasn't every day you saw something like this, and took their phones out for a photo. Wasn't there something beautiful here? All of us turning towards West Munich, remarking in English, German, languages I couldn't understand, on the beauty of that sunset after a long day of travel. And, after remarking on the sky to our neighbors, taking a picture to remember the moment. To love a moment so much that we consecrate it with a photo. Isn't this the highest compliment we can pay to reality, to this all-too-fleeting life of ours? Reflected in those Germans and travelers taking photos together was a longing for this present moment, this moment of homecoming and new beginnings, all lit up by gorgeous pinks and yellows, to never end. A necessarily doomed and futile longing, yes, but one to which the camera offered slight consolation. The Germans called it Abendrot, evening red, and, standing at the end of a long summer of travel that had taken me to four countries, it was the most beautiful evening sky I had seen so far. And I was glad, too, that it would live on in the hearts and photos of those around me. For WPRB Princeton, this is Tommy Goulding. WPRB wants you to know about Table to Table. They are a community-based food rescue program in northern New Jersey that collects fresh and perishable food that would otherwise be wasted and delivers it to organizations that serve the hungry in Bergen, Essex, Hudson, and Passaic counties. They rescue this healthy food from about 150 donors, supermarkets, food distributors, restaurants, and commercial kitchens, 
and deliver it the same day, free of charge to over 250 community organizations, including food pantries, shelters, daycare and after-school programs, senior adult centers, and programs serving the working poor. And they need your help. To find out how you can support their amazing work or get involved, please visit tabletotable.org. This has been a public service announcement from WPRV Princeton, community-supported independent radio. And that's our show. News and Culture is produced at the WPRV Studios in Princeton, New Jersey. I'm your host and the show's director, Adam Sanders. Tonight's show was reported, recorded, and produced by Charlie Nurnberger, Hannah Lee, Tommy Golding, and yours truly, Adam Sanders. The theme music for our show is Montanita by Ratatat. Other songs in this episode include Acid Jazz by Kevin MacLeod, Alone by Triad, and Distance by Manu Cornette. Can't get enough of news and culture? Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts, or at our website at news.wprb.com. That's news.wprb.com. Don't forget to follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram at WPRB News. That's at WPRB News. News and Culture is produced in Princeton, New Jersey by WPRB Princeton. Community-supported, independent radio. Take care and enjoy your evening. <laughs>